Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining us today for the broadcast. And this is actually part three of character traits and beliefs and behaviors of the mature believer. And so we covered uh, several of them so far. Let me give you a quick review before we get through the bottom of the list. Number one, mature believers have love. The Beatles had that famous song, All You Need Is Love, right? And so Jesus said, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And, uh, you know, you can spend your whole life learning how to love another person, to love one another. And the best way to begin that process is learning how to receive God's love. We are loved by God. God is love. Love is God. If you really know God, you can't help but love one another. God loves me so I can love anybody. God loves us. And until we get this, we can never fully understand love. Well, how do I know I have experienced God's love? I love others. And His love is complete or made perfect in us. And then we said number two. Uh, The second character trait is that uh, mature believers have joy. Henry Newell said this, Joy does not simply happen to us. We have to choose joy and keep choosing it every single day. Every day you have a choice. Are you going to be joyful? Jesus said in John 15, 11, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Oh, I love that verse because it reminds me that joy is something that I decide to receive from Jesus himself. Jesus' joy is in me. And if that joy is in me, it is a mature joy. It is a complete joy. And then we learn number three. Uh, We learn thirdly that mature believers have got peace like a river. I used to love singing that song. We haven't sung it for a long time. I've got peace like a river. Paul reminds us, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, with every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And that peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Have you ever been filled with stress, filled with anxiety, and you're wondering, where in the world did this come from? I shouldn't be anxious, but I am. You know, sometimes being anxious, there is no logical reason for being anxious. You know, I battle claustrophobia. And I always get mad at myself because I says, what in the world is the problem with you, Right. Uh, you're in a plane, uh, you're, you're taking the safest mode of transportation, and you're battling claustrophobia. Well, you know, sometimes anxiety does not have a logical reason behind it. And sometimes it just is what it is. But we learn that when we give that over to the Lord, He gives us the peace of God. And that transcends all understanding. As a matter of fact, sometimes the peace that we receive from God, we can't make sense of it. So we are told to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. So many people wrongly think, if I could eliminate people and problems and and stresses in my life, I would have peace. But peace is not the absence of problems. It's not the absence of people. Peace is the presence of God in me. And when I have God's peace in me, I am anxious free. The fourth trait of believers who are mature is that they have learned and are learning self-control. You see, if you learn self-control, You can master anything. So so Paul said to young Titus, the grace of God has appeared to us. And this offers salvation to all people. Now, notice he says it's offered to all people. Not all people receive it, but it's offered to all people. And when we receive that salvation, we learn something. 
we learn to say no to ungodliness, no to worldly passions. We learn to live self-controlled, which is really spirit-controlled, and upright in a godly life in this present age. And then we learned, number five, that mature believers, they have learned to accept certain things. Martin Luther King Jr. said, we must accept finite disappointment, but we must never lose infinite hope. Uh, We have hope that is an anchor for the soul, that is firm and secure, that is entered into the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where the forerunner Jesus has entered in on our behalf. Oh, I love this passage of scripture because it reminds us of that temple that was having this big curtain across that separated the inner court from the outer court, that separated where the people gathered in the Holy of Holies. And once a year, the priest would go inside there and offer up an atonement for the sins of all humanity. And then Jesus comes along. Now, Jesus, when he died on the cross, he offered sin on our behalf. He paid for sin on our behalf. And they ripped that curtain from the top right down to the bottom. And he is our high priest forever. And because of that, sin no longer controls me. I am controlled by the Spirit. And because of that, I can overcome whatever comes my way. And then we learned number six, the trying of your faith produces patience. That's where we stopped yesterday. Proverbs tells us that whoever is patient has great understanding, but the one who is quick-tempered displays folly. Now, I want to ask you a question. If you ever made the connection between patience and wisdom, when you have your faith tried, it requires patience, but that leads to wisdom. Because God is patient in me, I have wisdom. Now, if you find it hard to be patient, I want you to know you're in good company. You know, if you ever need inspiration in this area, James gives us four wonderful examples, James chapter 5, of what to do to gain patience. He says, first of all, and this is James 5, 7 through 11, he says, first, there is the patience of the farmer. Uh, Verse 7, he says, you know, the farmer, he waits for that precious produce of the soil being patient about it until it gets ready, until it gets you early in the late rains. Uh, So in a farming society, uh, they learn patience. Now, I know there's a stretch of time between planting the seeds and harvesting the produce. That is no act of will that can be shortened, right? You have to be patient. Everything comes in its times. The early rains, the latter rains, and then the harvest. You can't rush the process. So next time you're wondering, how do I get patience? Remember the patience of the farmer. And then James says, remember the patience that is needed for the Lord's return. The beginning of verse number seven, it says, therefore be patient. After he talks about the farmer, he says, therefore be patient until the coming of the Lord or for the coming of the Lord. And how does prophecy help to form the virtue of patience in us? Well, the Lord's people have always had to wait for God to fulfill his prophetic promises. Sometimes it took a generation. Sometimes it took hundreds of years. Sometimes thousands of years. So James reminds us that the Lord's return is coming. But you needed to be patient. In the face of all that we go up against, abuse and injustice, Instead of taking matters into our own hands and acting out of anger, 
We need to wait upon the Lord. He comes, he will judge, so be patient. You know, as we think about the Lord's return, it really hasn't been that long because the Lord himself says, a day with the Lord is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. So if we understand a day is like a thousand years, it's only been two days since Jesus left and he'll be back soon. It's called the imminent return of Christ. That means it could happen at any moment, but until it happens, we are to wait upon the Lord. Now, waiting is not idly doing nothing. Waiting on the Lord is to be preparing for his return. Uh, last night, I was, I was in small group, and, and one of the ladies says, I want to share a verse that I think will really encourage you. And she quoted Isaiah 41, where it says, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Waiting upon the Lord is preparing for his return. Uh, you got to get ready because he could come at any time. And as you're preparing for his return, you wait patiently. What well, was the third example that James gives us? We talked about the farmer. We talked about the Lord's return. Third, there is the patience of the prophet Elijah. Oh, I love this one. As an example, brethren, of suffering and of patience, take the prophets who spoke to you in the name of the Lord. And then in verse number 17, James 5, James cites the example of the prophet Elijah. He says, you're going to remember that Elijah felt so defeated that he wanted to die. Way back there in 1 Kings 19, verse number 4, he felt so alone. He thought he was the last believer in all of Israel. In 1 Kings 19, 10, he's crying out to the Lord and he's fearing that he's going to be killed and he's suffering persecution, not to mention the doubt and the fear and the depression that he was going through. But as he cries out to the Lord, God reminds him, listen, I have 700 prophets. Uh, They're hunkered down in a cave back there. They haven't bowed to the knee of Baal. Uh, You're not the only one out there, Elijah. I want to remind you that you're not the only one that is a believer today. I'm so thankful that we live in a country, and I think that God is preserving our nation because of the remnant of believers who are, are refusing to bow to the knee of Baal, living a Christ-centered life, being like Joshua of old, standing up and saying, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Now, sometimes you lose your patience in that process, but remember what God said to Elijah. You're not alone. You have many others that are with you. And then he gives us a fourth example. A fourth example of patience is found in the life of Job. Look at verse number 11 of James chapter 5. James says, you know, you've heard of that endurance of Job. You have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealing, that the Lord is full of compassion and he's merciful. Now, Job was a rich man with a huge family who lost everything after Satan attacked him. You see, the devil wanted to test Job, but he would never bring Job's name up before the Lord because he knew that God was putting uh, his protection around Job. And so it's not actually Satan who brings up the name of Job. It's actually God. As Satan was running to and fro, cursing and accusing the brethren, God says to him one day, hey, hey, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan says, well, yeah, I have considered him, but uh, you know, he's only faithful to you because you have blessed him. You have given him everything, and, and you got this hedge of protection around him, and, and it's no wonder that it doesn't curse you. Uh, and furthermore, I can't even get a, a hand on him. And so we looked, and God says, I, I tell you what, uh, God knew the heart of Job better than Satan knew his heart, and, 
And God knew the heart of Job even better than Job knew his own heart. God knew the heart of Job was pure, and Job was serving him not because of the blessings, not because of the protection. God uh, saw in the heart of Job a real bona fide believer in Jehovah God. And so God said, I'll tell you what I'll do, Satan. I will lower that protection, that hedge that I put around him. I'm going to cut it down uh, so you can take a shot at him because I want you to see the sincerity of his faith. And sure enough, he endured. Have you heard of the endurance of Job? Lost his family, lost his wealth, lost his health, lost everything. Chapter after chapter after chapter, Job is going through pain and misery, but he doesn't curse the Lord. Even his wife said to him one day, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? Which I would say, thanks a lot, honey, for your support in my time of need. But Job had endurance. He hung in there. Well, I want you to know, God teaches us patience through the trying of our faith. I used to say, I'm not going to ask for patience because that will produce trials in my life. I want you to know that I still think it's okay to pray for patience because God knows how to give us patience, and he knows it does take some trying of our faith. But I've discovered something. The trials are going to come whether you ask for patience or not. Well, there's another character trait that we discover as found in the life of mature believers in his kindness. Mark Twain said this, Kindness is a language which the deaf can hear and the blind can see. Paul said to the Thessalonian believers, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. You know, recently one of our men gave a wonderful message, and it was a message on kindness. And, uh, and that is a powerful message that was given on kindness. So I want to thank Elder Don for doing such a great job on kindness. And when I think about kindness, uh, there's a person in the Bible that comes to mind. And I know that Jesus is the kindest person that ever walked on the face of the earth. But, you know, Joseph was another guy that had tremendous amount of kindness in his life. Joseph, after being sold into slavery. And he goes from being a slave, and he goes and he rises in power. And I'm leaving a lot of details about the life of Joseph. But Joseph showed compassion, and he showed kindness to his brothers, even when they came to Egypt looking for food. Now, this could have been his opportunity to get his brothers back, but he was kind to his brothers. So this makes Joseph one of the kindest characters in the Bible. And I want you to know that as you think about kindness— God has always brought kind people into our lives. So learn kindness. It's a language which the deaf can hear and the blind can see. Number eight, eighth character trait of those who are mature believers. And I'm quoting myself on this one, right? I don't have too many profound thoughts and not that this is so great of a thought, uh, but generally I'm quoting somebody else. But I've learned this, that one cannot have great faith without great faithfulness. Proverbs 3 and 3 and 4 says, Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them upon the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. So great faith revolves around great faithfulness. You see, I display my faith in God by being faithful to Him. Now, if you've ever done any research, you know that not all research that you do is coming from a valid source, right? 
For example, Wikipedia, uh, some would question the validity of Wikipedia. And so I'm careful not to use Wikipedia. But even in this matter of faithfulness, Wikipedia got it right. Faithfulness is the concept, says Wikipedia, of unfailingly remaining loyal to someone or something and putting that loyalty into consistent practice regardless of extenuating circumstances. It may be exhibited by a husband or a wife who does not engage in sexual relationships outside of their marriage. Isn't it interesting that Wikipedia, when they're looking for an example of faithfulness, they say it can be exhibited in a husband or wife who doesn't engage in sexual relationships outside of marriage. Do you want to have great faith in your life? You got to be greatly faithful. You see, so many people want to have faith that moves mountains, but they don't have the faithfulness to show up consistently. Listen, because of God's faithfulness in me, I'm gaining favor with God and man. It's all because of his faithfulness in me. I show that I have great faith by being a faithful person. That is an earmark of maturity. That is an earmark that I have gone through this process of growing up. I am one that you can count on. Well, we've got two more to go. In just a few minutes left in the broadcast. Number nine, mature believers choose gentleness. It was Max Lucado who said, I choose gentleness. Nothing is won by force. I choose to be gentle. Now, obviously, Pastor Lucado is talking about interpersonal relationships, right? I'm not talking about countries going to war with one another. Just be gentle, right? And uh, just negotiate your way through evil, right? He's not talking about that. Because there is evil in our world, sometimes force must be used That's why we have police. That's why we have the military. As a matter of fact, in Romans chapter 13, it says that the government does not bear the sword in vain. There are some people that are bent on evil, and only force can bring about victory over that evil. But in our relationships with each other, husbands and wives, our personal relationships, you know, I don't force my wife to submit to me. I exemplify gentleness consistently in her life. I am kind to her so that she wants to follow me. It's not a matter of me forcing her to follow me. She wants to follow me. In Philippians 4, 5, it says, Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't you love that? God is right near with us. And if he's right near with us, then our gentleness has become evident to all. Listen, the Lord was gentle. Uh, He is described as a lamb going before its shearers is calm, right? Gentle. Now, he was also the lion of Judah. So we got to hold his intention. And I I don't want to get so much into the gentleness of the Lord that we we forget the fact that he is a, a holy God, right? And he will deal with our issues of sin, but he's a gentle savior. He never forces us into a relationship with him. Now, many of you who are maybe older like I am, You may remember Coach John Wooden. He was the UCLA basketball coach and and, uh, just an amazing basketball coach. Coach for that team more than longer than anybody else. And and he learned gentleness actually through his father. One day his father went to a young farmer and was trying to get, uh, this young farmer was trying to get his team of horses to pull a fully loaded wagon out of the pit. And this young farmer is just whipping those horses and cussing at those uh, beautiful plow horses. And and these horses are, uh, they're frothing at the mouth. They're stomping and and they're pulling back away from him. And uh, and, and so the elder Wooden 
said to the young farmer as he was watching this for a while, he finally went up to the young man and says, he says, can I take them for just a minute? Can I take the reins of uh, these horses for just a moment? And he says that his dad started talking to the horses, almost whispering to them, you know, stroking their noses with a, a soft touch. And, and then he walked in between them, holding their bridles and their bits while he continued to talk very calmly and, and very gently as they settled down. And, and gradually he stepped out in front of them and, and he just gave a little whistle to start them moving forward while he guided them with the reins. Within moments, these two big plow horses pulled that wagon out of the gravel pit as easily as could be, as if they were happy to do it. John Wooden said, I'll never forget what I saw happen that day. Over the years, I've seen a lot of leaders act like that angry young farmer who lost control. So much more can be accomplished by Dad's calm, confident, and steady approach. Wooden took away an indelible lesson. And this is the lesson. It takes strength inside to be gentle on the outside. This is because of God's gentleness in me. I can be kind and gentle to others. Well, we've got one final characteristic to cover. Humility. Zig Ziglar said, you know, humility will open more doors than arrogance ever will. Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Do nothing of, out of vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking at your own interest but each of you looking to the interest of others. Here, Paul is reminding us that we shouldn't be driven for our, our own selfish ambition. We shouldn't be uh, having vain conceit, saying we're going to do this so that we get, we get the accolades and we get the glory for doing it. No, we're to have humility. A few years ago, Google released a database of over 5 million books these books were published between the years 1500 and 2008. Now, as you do a word search, you can type into this database and, and you can discover how often words have been used over the centuries. Based on this data, the New York Times colonist David Brooks offers what he calls the story of the last half century. Over the last 50 years, there has been a significant shift, not only in the morality of our nation, but also in the vocabulary of our nation. You see, the first part of the story talks about the rise of individualism. In the past 50 years, individualistic words and phrases increasingly have overshadowed communal words and phrases. For instance, the following individualistic words have been used more frequently today than were used 50 years ago. The word self. The word, I come first. The phrase, I can do it myself. In contrast, the following words have been less frequently used in the last 50 years. Community, share, band together, common good. You see, the second part of the story, Brooks sees the decline in moral virtue. Certain words were especially hard hit, especially words associated with courage and gratitude. 
but all of the following words have dropped in usage. Here are the words that have almost become extinct. Modesty, humbleness, discipline, patience, faith, wisdom, and even evil. Brooks offers his interpretation for these trends. So the story I'd like to tell is this. Over the past 50 years, society has become more individualistic. As it has become more individualistic, it has also become less morally aware. Because social and moral fabrics are linked together. The first two trends have led to a certain form of social breakdown, which government has tried to address sometimes successfully, but most often unsuccessfully. I want you to know that humility is a character trait that is found in mature believers. Because God's humility is in me, I'm not selfish. Because God's humility is in me, I'm not filled with arrogance. I'm not filled with myself. Somebody once said that the best definition of humility is not the person who thinks less of themselves, but the definition of humility is a person who never really thinks of himself that much at all. I want to encourage you to walk in humility. Thank you so much for listening today. I look forward to talking with you tomorrow. God bless you. Have a wonderful evening. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ there is always hope for your heart.